0: Now
1: entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Yo, yo, yo! I got some news for you. Good news. See, Status has just officially launched version one of its mobile application, a private, secure communication tool that combines a decentralized messenger, Web three browser, and a crypto wallet, all in one package. You download one thing, you get three. Lucky you. It's available now in the app and Play Store for truly private and secure communication. Alright, so install it, then check it out, then have it be in the top-rated usage on your screen time report on Sundays, alright? Join the public channel, hashtag TVP, where you can get some S&T, that's status, to, to, to play with uh, some of the cool features like ENS registration, DAP curation and the decentralized sticker market. That's right. So go grab the app, it's easy to do. If you have an iPhone, it's on iOS. If you have an Android, it's on the Play Store. If you have a Windows Phone, what's wrong with you? You can download it in your mobile app store or at status.im slash tpp. I'll say that one more time. You can download it in your mobile app store or at status.im slash tpp. No blackberries.
2: It's a Bitcoin bar
1: Yo, everybody. Welcome back to the Bitcoin podcast. That's right. Episode 301. We're, we're over the 300 hump, Corey. We have an interview this episode? We do not. I don't think we are supposed to, but they, yeah. they canceled. Yeah, we, this, this
2: is, is like, we've had a lot of cancellations. Yeah. I've had a lot in hashing it out, too, just because of, yeah. I mean, it's, this is the most reasonable cancellations we've had so far it's like hey i gotta take my wife to the hospital i'm like oh yeah reasonable yeah on the other hand there's been a lot of people that want to do podcasts because they got shit else to do
1: yeah so we just hit a streak of interviewers that can't be interviewed or or interviewees that can't be interviewed um but nevertheless episode 301 um i'm the host that talks first d
2: i am another host Dr. Corey Petty, and we have a guest host today. Why don't you say hello, Taylor? Mm-hmm. That is you You're not
0: muted. Sorry, what?
2: We have a guest host today. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you I'm introduce Taylor yourself? <laughs> Taylor from I'm My guest Crypto host. is with us again today, returning to uh, partially give us her time while she's looking at her monitor.
0: <laughs> I was, yeah, I was checking Twitter. Sorry. <laughs>
2: Checking the tweets, huh? Yeah, so uh what do you want to talk about? What's what's, 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 what's talking talk about mine? Taylor, you were you've been out for a while, I'd say. Or was, at least like maybe maybe um
0: It was five days. Yeah. I went offline for five days. Um except that those five days just happened to be like the worst five days yeah, like, ever.
2: Everything broke.
0: <laughs> everything broke. Um, but also like so much, so much happened. So then, uh, like Trail of Bits released their report on votes, the blockchain voting app that same week. And then, um, there was like a deep dive analysis into different smart contract wallets on the seventh that I completely missed. Like I, any, I swear any other week would have been better to miss than that week.
1: Mm. So yeah. why do you feel like you missed out? Also, maybe it's your fault.
2: Like
0: it is my fault.
2: <laughs> Stop! <laughs> well, can't, can't leave.
0: We so basically we like did our pitch deck. We've been like basically gearing up to raise money, um, and so we were like, we knew it was going to be a bit harder than you know raising money January of 2018, <laughs> but mm. we were like, okay, we got this game plan, we got this deck, like let's go, uh, and I was like, all right. See you guys next week. Take off. And then I think Friday afternoon or Thursday afternoon, I check in with my lawyer. And he's like, hey, so um, Bitcoin's like $4,000. And I think that we have to redo the pitch deck because I don't know how we're going to raise money. And then also you can't come to San Francisco. And I was mm. like, LOL, you're so funny. Uh, thanks for telling me. Like talk to you later. Completely, like I literally thought that he was just fucking with me to stress me out more.
2: Mm. Quality, he wouldn't. Quality relationship with your lawyer.
0: <laughs> My lawyer's a knight. He's the best.
2: Oh but man, he's yeah. I. Like that's that's a reasonable feeling. Like it's a it's a hard time to try and think about raising money right now, especially in the crypto space, yeah. because that's usually what people are taking their like. Despite this narrative we've been saying for the longest time of. It's the hedge. It's where you put your money in times of crisis. Uh, Realistically speaking, based on how where money has been allocated so far, it's the first thing that gets taken out in times of crisis because the majority of it is institutional money. Yeah. So like, fuck that. I'm taking this out and covering my ass for the foreseeable future.
0: Right, exactly. And there's also like this, because of just how quickly the situation is changing and developing, most people, even if they're like, you know, smaller funds or even individuals that are investing. They're like, they're just not doing anything right now because they, you, you literally don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. And so I think that state of unknownness uh, has everyone just being like, um, pause.
1: Yeah. Everything's look around. On pause. <laughs> yeah. So. But that's kind of the good news is that everything's on pause.
0: Yeah, right. unless you have to pay your people.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's I a different story that. That. That's yeah. a much different stressor that um, I'm well. A lot I'm of the think about all of the rapidly. like
2: quote unquote well funded. Like, we're just, just going to confine ourselves right now to the cryptocurrency space. All of the well funded quote unquote companies mm-hmm. typically keep a tremendous percentage locked up in crypto of their fund, and so. You just watch, just watch your runway just dynamically change with the times. And in times like this, it's harder to predict your ability to hold. Uh, it's like secure a runway for a specific amount of time and then feel confident that at the end of that runway, things will be better than where they are now.
1: You know what it yeah. means, guys. Layoffs? Vertical takeoff.
2: Oh. Moon? That's... Like, <laughs>
1: That's no. I'm just saying. If you don't have a long runway, you got to find a way to vertically take off. Is, oh, that's stupid, clever
2: boy! With your analogy, that is that's
1: that's stupid and doesn't help anything. But
2: or it does. Maybe you just made too. someone figure out what they need to do for their company to survive. Probably not. <laughs> yeah, yeah just
0: vertically take off. That's yeah. all you have to do, guys. It's Why?
2: <laughs> helicopter baby.
1: <laughs> Yeah, and the,
0: the other, what was, oh, so when we were doing our product roadmap last quarter for the upcoming quarter, which just ended or is about to end, uh, we were prioritizing features that would give us, like bring in revenues based on, you know, like our assumption that the market was going to be bullish, like the crypto market was going to be bullish. um, mm-hmm. And that's one thing that we struggled with, right, is that when the crypto market's volatile, we make money because we make money off of fiat on ramps and we make money off of uh, swaps. So, like going ETH to tokens and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, that doesn't really bring in revenue when the market is stagnant or when the market's going down, which is where we've kind of been for the last two years. So, we finally got our asses in gear and. You know, everything is like clicking into place, and we have these revenues that are going to be, you know, we prioritize the ones that are going to be greatest in a sort of slightly bullish market or totally bullish market. Uh, and then this happened. And I'm just like, oh, okay, cool. Um, so we Retool. prioritized everything wrong again. <laughs> but like, how so it's can you? The,
2: um... You made good decisions, right? Like, those were sound decisions. There's no way anyone it could was see so this. They were
0: so sound. Like, because what, after, you know, basically two years of being down or completely stagnant, uh, it's not going to keep going down. Like, we, dude, did you see, like, January? It was great. My decisions were so sound.
1: Yeah. It's, I understand, it's got to be tough. But it's, it's tough across the board oh but yeah and my we,
0: issues are not i mean relative to like anyone running a restaurant right now or like re like straight retail no
1: oh, yeah you're
0: they're you're done
1: it's
2: the repercussions yeah, it's, of that are, are broad speaking too right like mm-hmm. the support system that's supposed to help in times of crisis is not large enough or efficient enough to handle Uh, the good portion of people who are going to be in need and then like maybe there's a few winners that are very innovative i was talking about this this morning with with my wife and and someone else uh that like i think this is interesting like ironically uh the companies and businesses that have been optimizing on zero human interaction will end up Becoming the winners of mm-hmm. the end of this and saving the social interactions of people. So, like by trying to yep. optimize by never talking or you or, or to a human, they're going to boost the economy, allowing people to be social again. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I yeah, like, people exactly. are going to control <laughs> who, the robots. I would have thought that's the case? That, like, were the incentives along aligned with doing that? Uh appropriate for like a good social economy
1: Mm, maybe maybe i mean it definitely like people are gonna
2: it's definitely like figure out uh it's definitely rewarding the people who are like thinking ahead uh of the future in terms of like automation and efficiency and using technology to streamline uh process but it definitely doesn't take into account like quality social interaction in terms of like A real good relationship between the client and the product yeah
0: yeah exactly and that's a the one thing that could have been way worse especially if i had still like taken that the week off is if we had a real real company (laughs) if we had a traditional (laughs) company um you know with an office and stuff the the sort of like I mean, I just – I I couldn't – I would have had to, like, come back, like, I don't even know when, right? I would have been planning for it. Everything would be so different. But the one thing with everything that, you know, kind of crashed and burned um, was that the company itself, like, the organization and the people that are part of our company, like, literally no change because we're all remote. Yeah. And so that was – One thing that my family ask about, they're like, is everything okay with the company? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, Yeah, I think so. Why? Like, (laughs) what's going on? You know? Mm -hmm. And and they just they don't they don't they still really don't fully grasp that, you know, we have this team, it's like 15 to 20 people, and everything's remote. Like, so this is our day-to-day lives. The I think the only real difference is some people who have spouses, now their spouses are also working from home, which has been Stressful. slightly different.
2: You're always here.
0: <laughs> Get out of my life.
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, that's, been, like, my, I that's think- been my case. <laughs> like, I, like yeah. if me I wasn't uh, for social media and the news and like kind me tracking things, my life would be no different. I don't leave the house, I work all the time, and mm-hmm. all my work is online. Like status is a fully remote company, and it, it's it's yeah. people are like, how? What are you doing? I was like, nothing. In fact, I'm working more because yeah, like yeah.
0: this is great. Like nobody yeah. expects me to go out, so now I don't have to like you
2: know, <laughs> I don't have social at all ever. Yeah. <laughs> you
1: nailed you it. You actually wrote something in Medium about working from home and giving tips and tricks to that that oh, I yeah, actually right. used for so for my team to help them because it was a very quick. Light switch for what in the industry that I'm in, where we all of a sudden sixty percent of my team was working from home, and it's no experience. Like, I've never That's worked a very from home weird thing. Before. It's yeah, yeah. Like, I've never worked from home before, and I was like, well, I have some experience there. And then you had a very timely piece that you dropped on Medium that I actually directly linked to people on my team So like, hey, it's different. Like you're you've got to find a way to put a bold, uh, a bold line around your work in your home because now your work is inside of your home. Mm-hmm. So if you're not used to that and everything starts meshing together, you're gonna find yourself mentally in a position uh, that you don't like. So yeah. you got you gotta get ahead of that. Like when I worked from home, that was the thing. It was like, well fuck man. My I brought my laptop out here and I just closed my laptop and I'm watching Netflix. It's like this is weird work home fusion and I can't have that. So I, I had to it. actually have an office
2: I I you know, love it. Like, I personally love it. That's like I maybe I'm weird, but like I love the fact that I just exist, and <laughs> just, and whatever I'm doing at any given point in time is usually work, but like mm-hmm. it's very fluid, <laughs> right? I I love it. Like because I but this weird. I love what I do. And, yeah, well, and, and that's, that's the difference. So in
0: I think that yeah. you're just like me, Corey. Is like you one like you love what you do so you're not like torn you're not sitting here on your laptop and then being like oh but netflix like i haven't watched netflix in i don't even know last time i turned on the freaking tv right because it's right there but i don't have any interest in that every all my entertainment and my work and everything i love is you know is it's it's all fun it's all work etc it's all mixed together some people can't deal with it some people hate it some people don't like what they do so you know that that the attraction in netflix um but the other big difference is like we've been doing this for let's say i've been working remotely for god since like 2012 maybe 2013 um so i've i've figured out the things that i'm weak to and i've also figured out how mm-hmm. to have some sort of balance between like work and not work um got any, uh, got any hot because tips because i i trend towards working too much um, so the best thing, like when we got the house and when we had our apartment before, it was like our, our apartment was a, a two levels, and so like upstairs, no work is allowed, and downstairs is like where the office is. Now we have like a dedicated room that's an office, so that's really nice because basically, I I literally now at, at this point I just close the office door when I'm done working and that's it i don't actually like i have my laptop but i don't actually move it you know your phone you it.
2: bring your phone out and just continuously check messages that's what i find myself doing. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah so basically a lot of my work is on my phone right like checking in with the team like providing feedback on random designs etc um and that i i don't know i i i've yeah. figured out how to find the balance the first thing is like you're your phone should just be on silent and like any notifications that aren't urgent notifications should just not be on at all. Like you should never see um, like a Twitter thing or a Facebook thing, period. Like you should only get those. You should only see what is happening on your Facebook when you actively go to your Facebook. Um, And then that way, like your text messages and your emails and your work stuff can, you know, exist. Um, Kev had like two phones for a while. So he had, like, basically one where the notifications were all for work and then one where there's no work stuff. And so he could just, like, you know, uh, not be around the work phone if he didn't feel like working. Um, honestly, though, like, I, I think the best thing, so if you trend towards working too much like I do, then you have to, like, dedicate time. Like, I calendar it <laughs> to not be working
2: um nice qualities. if you dedicated not part yeah. time
0: <laughs> yeah literally <laughs> uh like go outside get some sunlight um run errands like whatever uh and if you trend towards like not working enough or like procrastinating indefinitely or binging on netflix or whatever then i would say the best thing is like you need to reset up your environment and again like It's never going to work if you bring your laptop into bed with you. It just isn't. Or if you, if you sit in front of the TV, like, and have your laptop on the coffee table or something, like, you just can't. You have to have that separation of space. Mm -hmm. Um, and then what was the other, the biggest thing? Oh, so the biggest thing for the people on my team that we hired and, like, they didn't work out with the remote environment, um, were the ones who, uh, could not keep a steady schedule. They always failed. Um, and what I mean by that is like, you know, because they have the freedom to work whenever they want, they would literally work whenever they wanted to.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, which usually meant I like. I
1: kind of that from a management yeah. standpoint to have them like daily check-ins
2: mm-hmm. to keep
1: people metered. Because that's the most important thing is if you're not metered, then time becomes immeasurable. Then you stop measuring it, you know? Exactly. (laughs) So you've got to be metered. And then, uh, so if you are, if you got a team, you got to have these daily call ins or communique just to keep people anchored to their day because it's not their fault, but they're now existing in this weird work home fusion. So,
0: yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that, um, so like one, like one of the biggest benefits of working remotely is like, if you are not in the zone, if you're not in the mood to work, if something else is like, you're tired, something else is cluttering your brain, it's a good, it's a great day outside. Like you do have the ability to be like, you know what, I'm not being productive right now. I'm going to go do whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and then come back to it later when you are productive and you are efficient. Um, Because it's, that's like, that's the best thing, right? You can, you can sit in front of your computer for four hours and get like, no work done because you're just not in that in that mood or in that zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you could like, I don't know, go run some errands, uh, take a nap, whatever, and then come back and get that same amount of work done in like half an hour. Right. Um, and so that's great, but you have to have like, you know, you have to go to the bed at the same time. You have to wake up at the same time. You have to have like these core sort of things that hold you mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, somewhat attached to reality because, uh, if you don't, yeah, your your sleep cycle starts to like kind of just get pushed back and back and back and back, and then you know that's not healthy. You're not at peak mentality when your sleep cycle is different.
1: Yeah, um,
0: yeah it's just it's just everything. So it's, yeah,
1: one thing I would say is that um, if you are working from home now because of this Rona. Then go check that out. Go check out Taylor's writings on Medium.
2: We'll Medium.com. Uh, oh,
0: I'll say this by the way. That I didn't even write that. That was our project manager, Luker.
2: Yeah. Oh, okay. shout out.
0: Freaking amazing. Um, Ooh. and that article, I was like, dude, we have to do uh, work from home. I was like, don't, don't just go like copy paste other articles though. Like everything you know and you've learned, like just put it in an article and get it out there. And she went to freaking town on it. I love her so much. She's literally the best. She like went and like talked to talked to a whole bunch of people about their experiences, uh, brought in our own experiences. Like it's, I don't know, Uh, it's it's so much better than what I would have done. And that's like that's imagine having a team too. By the way, like that that
2: moment. Hey Corey. Yeah.
1: What's your status? rocking it that's right same here we rock this shit so anyways <laughs> most people know status as a as a mobile app for private secure communication did you know that corey oh i knew it i'm the cso <laughs> i'm pretty sure you had an inkling An oh, inkling so uh, yeah just a little just a little bit of an inkling so um so what it does is and this is like news to a lot of you listening right now, it combines a decentralized messenger, right? What's that mean? The messaging is decentralized, a crypto wallet <laughs> and a web three browser. That's a lot of things in one app, Corey. How are you, how are you guys pulling that off?
2: Uh, it's kind of hard, but in fact, it's it's a lot more than that, right? It's, it's like the status is like really just a network of projects that builds infrastructure like user-level products and tools for DApp developers, all on kind of the Web3 stack, like the decentralization movement. For example, we so, got Nimbus, an S2 client, right? That's like you know infrastructure layer. Uh, it's specifically designed for resource-restricted devices like mobile phones. Yeah, I got VAC P2P. That's like your mo- your modular messaging protocol for private security communication. So like how these computers talk to each other. And you got Embark. Embark's like um, it's a framework of tools or a suite of tools that allows people to build robust decentralized applications. Uh, in fact, mm. another part, got the key card. Key card's like a really, really um, financially cheap, but incredibly secure hardware wallet, right? For contact contactless open source, um, like hard wallet in, a, in a, an API so that you can keep your keys safely while not having to spend a bunch of money.
1: Dude, I love the key card because of like it, it just kind of plays on the fact that I like things that have small physical changes that, that get people to act differently. And that's one of the things crypto desperately needed. So hats off to status for recognizing that. So, Appreciate so not only do you get all those amazing things with amazing names, did y'all know Nimbus was the cloud that Goku rides around on?
2: Uh, I don't. No, if they knew that when they named it that, they, they, they stuck with well, a lot of like cloud-based things because the language they use is called Nim.
1: Mmm. What is? Goku rides around on a cloud because you know he can't fly faster than the speed of sound or anything. So, and, and so, not only does Status have all that stuff, it has more. All these projects are connected through a set of principles and a mission to create sovereign, open socio-economies through public goods, sovereignty and transparency. Now, any person or project can join the Status Network and their mission through contribution or funding. They just rolled out a decentralized Kickstarter-like tool for project funding called Assemble, Assemble. Check all of it out and get involved at statusnetwork.com. Yep, so go to statusnetwork.com. And check out all of the amazing things. Be a part of it.
2: And back to the show.
1: So let's um let's slippity slide into some crypto talk. There's some things yeah. that I uh I've been looking at just because when when markets are tested, you try to go to what are the quote unquote fundamental measures of the market to see exactly what's going on. One of the things that I've always kept an eye on, because I do believe that. Just in the current state of crypto, the thing that gauges um, how well it's performing is the hash rate, because the two leading tokens, Bitcoin and Ether, both use proof of work. They both require ASICs, so hash rate is very fundamental to its performance as a network. And I did notice that the Bitcoin hash rate is a tumbling, but it's only tumbling to its January state, January of this year. Um Now, the Ethereum hash rate, on the other hand, has stayed pretty level on a corridor between 150,000 um, giga hash per second, 200,000 giga hash per second. But Bitcoin's all the way. I don't know. It's on some fucking Zeta shit. Exa. Sorry, it's an exa hashes, but it's tumbled down to its January levels. And so now we get to have our fun that we have on our show. And that is what the fuck? Could that mean? <laughs> so. I,
0: I got I got some theories on this. Yeah, I think one thing is that the Bitcoin mining industry is uh, perhaps more sophisticated, um, and these things are like the miners are basically operating like real businesses at this point. So uh, they basically the hash rate is going to be more correlated to the price because that's you know if they make money or they don't make money right and so if mm-hmm. the price goes down they'll turn off some miners et cetera. and they're probably reacting pretty fast at this point um and the other thing is that yeah because they're like literally businesses with employees um they are affected by the price but also just like every other business in the world right now yeah. you know the unknownness with with surrounding coronavirus
1: if you don't yeah, have the people like- to maintain the miners.
2: Well, that's, uh-huh. I don't think it's people. I don't th- in my opinion, um, once things are set up and running efficiently and mining situations, especially within Bitcoin, because Taylor said they're, they're businesses. They have, they require specific types of infrastructure. Um, and the efficiency, they're, they're also low margin businesses. So the efficiency of these things is quite, um, high. Uh, once you have it set up, it's managed, um, and so the personnel required to maintain should be smaller than that of a more I would we'll call it decentralized ideological uh, mining base, which is what I, I would associate Ethereum with, right? More hobbyists. Mm-hmm. There, there's definitely like business entities inside of Ethereum, but they're not to the level of Bitcoin as based on the hardware required to do it. Uh, so, like, it's not a personnel issue. It's not. There aren't people that are like staring at Isix individually <laughs> flipping them on and off based on uh, what the energy bill is that day. Right. It's it, it's more okay. about the in my opinion, the economics associated with running that business um, and the surrounding sentiment economics of the given country, geographic locations associated with it. Right. So like there's a tremendous amount of mining happening in, in China. Uh, Depending on where those factories are and current situations, those people may be either economically or like emotionally unstable based on what's going on and need to Mm reprioritize. So they may just turn it off or just or it's just an economic thing. And they're like, we're being impacted. We cannot afford to run this many miners anymore based on issues that I don't understand. And they turn them off
0: yeah exactly and the other thing to point out is that one of the reasons that i suspect the ethereum mining ecosystem is just not like as sophisticated as bitcoins or i don't know if sophisticated is the right word but you know it's just not set up in the same sort of like
2: long term business, way. business uh...
0: exactly is because ethereum since day 1 has always been going to move to proof of stake and so if you're going to set up an ethereum mining business Uh, like if you set one up in 2015, uh, I think at that point it was planned that proof of stake would be, you know, moved to in, in like 2017, right? So you're basically being like, I'm going to set up a business for two years and then I'm going to go do something else. You know what I mean?
2: Then I'm (laughs) going to repurpose these things to something else. Like it's it's all GPUs. So it's like for the Mm -hmm. most part, it's mostly GPUs. And so those can be repurposed to a myriad of other things. Like one of the things yeah. happening right now within the Ethereum ecosystem, which I've read, I haven't, I don't know details and I forgot where I read it, but a good portion of mining equipment within the Ethereum ecosystem is now being repurposed for um, general COVID virus research development. Very similar to like folding at home endeavors for protein folding. Uh, there's a, a similar initiative for finding uh, novel treatments for the coronavirus. And so miners are just repurposing things for that. And that could affect hash rate, but apparently not enough to drastically affect the like overall hash rate. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like Things like that may change because GPUs are more useful, ASICs are not. Uh, in terms of like, generally useful, ASICs do one thing in Bitcoin, which is just do Bitcoin consensus, whereas GPUs can be repurposed for anything that uh, requires that type of computation. Yeah.
1: Well, my theory is easy. It's economics, baby. (laughs) Price down, miners are down. That's it.
2: That's it? So do you think, so like, I guess it's the longest time, it's like who leads who?
1: uh, I don't know who leads who, but I do remember doing some uh, D-napkin math and the correlation between hash rate movement and price movement for Bitcoin was like 0.82. And I was like, man, that's a very high positive correlation. And then Corey was like, yeah, but you didn't math hard enough. And I was like, I think I mathed just as hard as I needed to math, my friend.
2: That's usually my answer to D when he says I math something. I was like, that, that's not hard enough. That's not in a good – you need to yeah. math, math more. <laughs> and,
1: and I'm like, dude, that's all I That's all I need to do. I don't understand what I don't, what I what I still have to do. But to me, it's like if the price is down, they can't pay the electricity bills. So they got to turn the miners off.
2: Like you said, if, <laughs> I mean, if they're businesses like like Taylor alluded to, which are, we all believe they are, that's they do, uh, over time, if they are businesses that are that big, they are no longer as ideological as they used to be, which means they're less inclined to hold on to Bitcoin for future profit versus maintaining um, current profits, right? They know what they can make mm-hmm. off the Bitcoin now, so they sell it as fast as possible to keep operational costs up to date so they don't go too far in the red or whatever the color number, color is that you go into uh, instead of like being like, well, this is going to be really expensive later. I'm going to hold on to a portion at a loss now. They're not going to do that mm-hmm. these days.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the hash rate is going to bounce back, obviously. But right now while the price is down,
2: does it need to? so much. Does it need to? That's the real question. Um, I mean, the network is secure. It doesn't. Like, it's still a tremendous amount of hardware required to do a fifty-one percent attack within Bitcoin. Like the 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 sheer amount of mining. Eh, that's that's. Uh, you could maybe argue that it needs to mm. go up and continue to go up. I think that's a no. It needs to be distributed better. So that's, like,
1: well, you just took, took the cares? words out of my mouth. Like, who cares hopefully if this it's is high. an Opportunity for redistribution. Yeah um but i doubt it will be because there's just still so many people who don't understand even just proof of work they don't understand how pivotal it is that it's redistributed which is kind of rough but get that shit out of here time for, <laughs> it's, yeah maybe it's a time for proof of stake to shine man proof of stake has been waiting for some limelight and it's just sitting over there eh not it's not ready yet much. it's not ready
2: i mean there's, there's there are some proof of stake uh, initiatives that work, but maybe not the scale of uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum, and because they don't have that, it's hard to rely on them for the same security. Like, no one knows
1: perfect F2 is the enemy work. of good, Corey. Like,
2: yeah, but you need some perfect pretty strong guarantees. You need some pretty strong guarantees to move a multi-billion-dollar industry over to something that has been unproved or like untested, unbattle-tested.
1: We think, Taylor.
0: It's, like, everything is correlated and everything isn't, right? And everything is affected by everything. And that's, I don't know, that's, like, we can play guessing games all day long and we can try to figure out what the price is going to do or what is going to happen tomorrow. But, I don't know, there's something, there's always going to be something missing.
1: Yeah. What do you mean by that? We need a proof of stake.
0: Oh, proof of stake, like, it's... We'll get there.
1: <laughs> we will.
0: It's, I mean, it's really, it's a hard problem, right? And a lot of people, I think, look at the chains that are just not uh, not actually proof of stake, like they're delegated proof of stake or or not even proof of stake, but say that they're proof of stake and, and are like, well, why doesn't Ethereum just do that? And the reality is, is like what they are working on and have been working on is is, it's just really robust and really different. Um, and it's also, you know, for better or worse, it's evolved and it's changed over time. Like they, the original sort of like proof of stake plan, uh, and what they thought was going to happen back in 2015, 2016, maybe even part of 2017, it's just like, it's, it's completely different at this point. The transition, uh, the fact that Ethereum has really a lot of value, right? That, you know you have to make sure that it's robust. It yeah. really changes the game. Mm-hmm. It really, really does. Like if you imagine, let's say that development-wise, engineering resources-wise, time-wise, whatever, we we're at the same point, but uh, the market cap of ETH was maybe like, I don't know, a million dollars. You can imagine mm-hmm. that, like they'd probably be like, ah, well, let's see what happens. Switch it, see what, what happens, yeah. <laughs> we'll iterate, you know, but at this point, you know, if you basically you have one shot um, and that's all you got uh, and with everything that's now built on Ethereum, right? So when you look at DAI, when you look at USDC, when you look at Tether, um, you know, it's there's a lot of really lasting consequences if something goes wrong. It's not – it's just not like it was back in like the day of the DAO where mm-hmm. uh, if something goes really wrong and you want to press undo – the consequences were really narrow, relatively speaking.
1: Uh, this is what, yeah. if I could speak to this just a little bit. It's not if something goes wrong. It's when something goes wrong. Yeah. Like, if there's anything that we've learned from what's going on right now in the world, it's not if, it's when. And if there's anything that I've learned from playing excessive amounts of SimCity 2000 when I was a kid, sometimes your city's doing fucking great. And then aliens come down and blow up all your shit, and you got to start from scratch. And you're like, "What the fuck?" I don't think you so need to use not... SimCity
2: 2000 for that. You can
1: just look at today. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> you don't need SimCity 2000 for that. But that's what I, I kind of think annoys me the most about most of the crypto communities. Crypto communities, not communities. Communi- that's a that's,
2: that's a, a that's, that's a business, business name. That's a business take name it. right there. Communities.
1: Communities. <laughs> all yours. Take somebody, <laughs> please take that. All right. God damn, that's a good name. (laughs) Um, Communities is is that, like, that it's like trying to make a perfect thing before it goes out there. Don't make it perfect, just make the amount of shittiness that's going to happen when it breaks minimal and do
2: that. Optimize like that because something bad is going to happen. That's a risk based optimization. That's what it is. Yeah. Understand where things go wrong and understanding. Um, what it takes to make those things go wrong and making sure that that's above a certain threshold and then understanding yes. what that, like understanding the, like how to get there and the probabilities, what needs to happen to get there and then, and then saying, we're okay with that. That's enough. Yeah. That's enough for us and to move forward only- and then dynamically watching it as time goes on to make sure you're not encro- encroaching those things. That's what, exactly. P- that's what proof of work basically is, to be honest. Uh, yeah. Think-
0: yeah, it is. It's, um, there's, so one of the things that, you know, when I look at specifically DeFi on Ethereum uh, and risk and, you know, it's, it's insane because there's so much that now works together or is built on top of or is relying on. It's, it's all so interwoven that, you know, there's some things, that, you could be like, okay, so my stuff is going to be great. but once everything's interwoven and relying on each other, um, as we've seen, the combinations of things cannot be great. Yeah, look at at Flash
2: Loans. Flash Loans alone added a tremendous amount of complexity into what people could do on Ethereum and then a tremendous amount of contracts that were deemed safe beforehand were immediately seen as unsafe based on a new functionality that was introduced.
0: Right. Exactly. And so that's the thing that gets really interesting is like if you have a flash loan and the flash loan is itself is, let's just pretend, 100% secure, 100% perfect, right? And you have a, a some other smart contract that is, again, somehow 100% secure, 100% perfect, those two things individually are great and then you combine them and everything blows up and that's where things get really interesting.
2: <laughs> that's literally what happened. Because, like
0: yeah that's it's literally yeah that this is literally what's happened basically february that's basically what happened all of
2: february I, let's let's say i'll do it i'll give you like an e l i 5 maybe an e l i 10 i don't know we'll figure it out you can tell me what age number you're going to be after i give you the explanation <laughs> uh, so most of the platforms that were created in DeFi had uh, basically a risk assessment of, in order to do something bad, you'll need this much capital implemented over this amount of time, based on how things currently work. We'll be able to see that and mitigate it before they can actually do things. Flashlands came along and said, and and and. and Based on this amount of capital, like required amount of money to actually get the thing off, uh, we we feel that the people who are going after these types of issues will not have that much capital to put up at risk. They won't be able to risk this capital, and so these were decent security uh, uh, like assessments of probable like probability on whether or not someone could take advantage of the vulnerabilities that existed. They knew about them for the most part. Some didn't. Uh, and then flash loans came along and said, well, guess what? You no longer need capital and you no longer need time. And if things go wrong, you pay a small fee. And so it enabled all of those applications that assumed no one was going to have a lot of capital to put up at risk in a, in a almost immediate amount of time to be viable. And everyone's like, mm-hmm. let's have some fun. <laughs> and that was just one example of a functionality that's that has le- very legitimate use cases in its own right for various things that could be applied to other things that are quite malicious.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's that's one of the um, one of the most interesting things about security is that you know when you look at these audits or you even look at the risk analysis or you even just think about the smart contracts or really anything in the world, right, and you le- look at the attack surface, um, you have to, like, limit, uh, you have, you just have to make limitations on what exactly you're analyzing and, and what you're looking for because otherwise, you know, like, if we look at the, the risk of, like, me walking down the street, it would be like, oh, an asteroid hits me, right? But it's just, it's so far out there. You're like, okay, we have to limit, we can't list every possible bad thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's not going to happen. And so one of the, one of the things is like, you know, uh, yeah, if someone has, uh, you know, a trillion dollars worth of computer and they all target your exact system at the exact same time, something bad may happen. Right. And they just go like, Mm -hmm. well, you know, that's so far out of the realm of possibility just like it's so far out of the realm of possibility that I get hit by an asteroid um, that, you know, some reports did acknowledge that. Uh, but really, for the most part, they, they, you know, those things, again, it's so far out of the realm of possibility that you just don't even, you don't even think about it.
2: You don't consider it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, when you get the audit or you think about these things when you make the product, you don't consider it because it's Reasonable to not consider it at that time, and then mm-hmm. development happens, and progress happens, and growth happens, and and more uh, focused attention happens with more capital, and those assumptions are no longer valid, or they're less valid, right. and people don't right. readdress them, and rethink about them later on down the line because they said it was secure when we launched it. We're assuming it's secure now, and that's that's a that's a broad uh, problem with all of crypto is that they put a lot of effort into developing. Yeah auditing and deploying things and not a lot of effort in watching and monitoring and reassessing things.
0: Right. And that's one of the things that scares me most about the new smart contract wallets that are being launched, you know, and there's quite a few of them at this point. But, you know, the ones that are, are, and even the DeFi products that hold money, right? Like anything that's a smart contract that holds money, they're like, oh, we're just going to limit it to like, I don't know, like 50k. Or we'll limit the size to like X dollars or whatever it is. Well, if your smart contract wallet or your smart contract DeFi thing or whatever has 50K worth of ETH in it today, and over the next six months the price goes back to a thousand, it no longer has fifty K in it. <laughs> mm. It just doesn't. Um, and you know, the one thing about crypto that we do know is that when crypto takes off, it takes off fast. Right? It was what a year to go from for ETH to go from what ten dollars to a thousand dollars?
1: Ten to a thousand, yeah.
0: Ten to a thousand in twelve months.
1: That's in un- that's uncanny.
0: Okay, and when that, that happens, long-term? you're not like you're not when that happens, you're experiencing such tremendous growth in every single aspect of your business. And you're putting out these fires that are happening right now, right? Like your infrastructure is offline or your app doesn't work or your onboarding process sucks or your support is underwater, whatever it is. At no point are you like, hey, remember that note that we made last year about how, you know, if this happened or this amount of value was put in it or whatever it was, uh, that would be bad. Like you're not in that state to address it or even think about it because, I don't know, like your infrastructure just completely collapsed under you and you have to deal with that. And so that's what scares me a lot about um, growth. About smart contract <laughs> wallets, about, about the limitations we put on things. Like these arbitrary limit like why are you putting like relying on these arbitrary limitations that will change?
1: What's my quote, Corey? I don't you have a lot of quotes, dude. <laughs> Everything's bullshit until it isn't. Oh, yeah. Okay,
2: that's that's, that's something you say. You say that.
1: <laughs> Everything's bullshit until it isn't. These arbitrary limits, and then we just got to kind of force consensus, soft or hard consensus, into it not being arbitrary anymore. That's yeah. pretty much life in a nutshell. Yeah. We decided and- Cheerios were going to be the fucking thing. We all just did.
2: <laughs> like, it's like, oh, okay. So I just, the man I did. get the word. In the industrial factory. I got nothing. Sorry, I'm not going to go on that. <laughs> Everything's
1: bullshit until it isn't, man. But the thing is, is like, what I was wondering while we were having this conversation is like, when it comes to the economic aspects of this stuff, which is probably the most important thing, is money thinking about making like a, a periodic table of economic primitives or something? To so like, you know, hey, this smart contract is like a noble contract. So we it works talk... With everything. <laughs> I, I was wondering along. where you were
0: going with that okay. but i really like this because
1: you know like if you, know you have like a table you know, a, a of smart contracts that, are like you know like hey this contract is pretty pure it's gonna work it's not gonna break anything but when it interacts with these sets of contracts you're gonna get some fuckery so we're gonna call these sets of contracts mm. the fucking that's hard i don't know uh and well, your table elements is an easy corey Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> that's, that's it's absolutely not. So but it's also
2: built on. It's built on a few simple rules, right? Uh, like well, the, the complexity of chemistry is built on a few simple rules. Uh, but
0: yeah, if you break it down, yeah. if you break it down enough, and if if we were to break down like, see, that's that's what blows my mind, right? So you have Ethereum the network, right? Which is just its transactions and blocks, like same old stuff. And then with on the Ethereum network, you have like ETH, which is just the basic core currency. Then you have tokens, which are actually contracts themselves, but let's just pretend that all the tokens are, you know, essentially the same contract. Um, That we're pretty good with, right? Like we had a pretty good understanding of how these things would interact with the network, how tokens interact with this. And then you build a contract and you're like, okay, does it work with ETH? Do we catch the edge cases? Pretty much. Does it work with token? Do we catch the edge cases? Pretty much. Uh, We learned that pretty quickly. Like we learned where the issues were today. We're not like it's so far like the number of connections and the number of interactions and the number of potential interactions are so much greater and so large. Uh, If you think about every possible interaction between like say two systems, right? Like two DeFi apps. You're talking about each of these apps has multiple smart contracts that interact with each other. You have like admin stuff. You have like the actual um, the actual functionality, right? Like whatever it does, it breeds kitties or whatever it is. And then you have the users' interactions, which is you know either sending data or sending tokens or sending ETH or whatever it is. When you then combine that with another system that has those same things and the same interactions, it's just like. It, it, you know, you start with like a little thread, and it just explodes into this ginormous mess. And I, I really think that it's like unfathomable. Like I don't think oh. that we can really comprehend. <laughs> I have,
2: I have, uh, the I have. So I, I'm uniquely positioned to give you uh, a different viewpoint on on this complexity, uh, based on my PhD work. And so, uh, I did my research in what's called ro-vibrational spectroscopy, which is basically um using the like theory of quantum mechanics like exact quantum mechanics no approximations whatsoever trying to model uh the rotation and vibration of the nuclei of very small molecules when i say very small i mean two to four atoms so right Mm -hmm. i'll get to i'll get to why here in a second uh so, like, when you think about all of the possible connections, so in order to do this, you need to map the, like, all the possible combinations of bonds and distances and forces that can apply to any given molecule. So, the canonical example, and typically what you learn in, you know, welcome to chemistry or welcome to the, the thermodynamics and stuff, is like the ball and stick model and the spring model of two balls, uh, two nuclei vibrating with each other, right? So like you look at that and you say like, well, this is the vibrations that this thing can have based on the, like based on chemistry and you learn the curve and so on and so forth. But why? Because when you have, when you have two atoms, there's only one way in which they can bind together, right? Only one possible Mm -hmm. connection. So if you add an atom to this, uh, you then have not, two ways in which they can combine each other. You have three ways in which they combine each other. Three way. There are three possible configurations this thing can have. And then you have to map all of those distances and all of those angles with respect to each other, right? So there's three internal mm-hmm. coordinates. It's three and minus six if you get like three in factorial minus six. Uh, something like that, I forget. Either way, and so if you add another one and you take out kind of you, you look at the only the the degrees of freedom associated with it. So you now have uh, four atoms. There's six internal degrees of freedom. So you've gone from one mm-hmm. to three to six to twelve. And so while I was doing my PhD research, I was I was on the bleeding edge of how you can computationally model these things as accurately as possible using the largest supercomputers in the world that we currently had. So I had the fastest, best, most efficient software to model these things the most accurately on using the largest supercomputers that we currently have in existence. And my research was pushing the boundary by going to five atoms, right? Mm. So it took thousands and thousands and thousands of cores working together to solve a problem that looked at how five atoms interact why because the complexity of these things grows exponentially as you try and map them together and Mm. when you have exponential growth like that it becomes intractable to accurately do things and so that's where chemistry comes in and says well we're going to make some approximations we're going to say all things kind of look like this which makes the complexity a little easier, computational easier, we can make bigger models and so on and so forth. But as you do that, you lose accuracy to where like if you start to then assume those things are correct, you get to larger systems, you're looking at something that doesn't make any sense anymore. And you're making judgments based on things that don't work thinking that they do. And so like what's happening, like going back into the crypto space, we're trying to assess incredibly complex systems with very approximate assumptions, and assuming like very, that like very approximate very. assumptions, like right? when I
0: said, let's just assume all the tokens are the same. Yeah. No, you. That's a mm-hmm. bad assumption because any of these tokens can have any fun Like they can be anything. Period. But,
2: th- but we can't do any better. Like we're still trying to push that boundary of how do we do things accurately at scale. But things change so fast. Like no one we're not we're not bound to the laws of physics here. Like like you have in science. We're like this is how it works. This is how it will always will work. Now you can make approximations if you'd like to to get better, but like we're not bound by that. We're bound by social interaction and the and the will and greed and desires of people, which is ridiculously irrational and unpredictable. And so like mm-hmm. that exacerbates that difficulty. Yeah.
0: No, it's just, it's so, like I said, it's, I think it's, it's like when you try to imagine the size of the universe, you know, it's just like you, you can't like your brain, your human brain is not capable of fully grokking like what, what this problem is or how big this problem is or what the possible interactions are or, or anything. Um, And it's helpful if you know that. Right, So if you are looking at this and you're like, we know nothing, but we're going to do the best that we can, that's a much better state to be in than the, uh, we got this, <laughs> we're totally fine. Nailed
2: it. There's nothing bad that can happen.
0: <laughs> um, and that's so. one of the things, I always tell this story, like the first time I ever talked with Robert Leshner, I was like very skeptical and I like get on the phone with him. And I was like, all right, well, what are you going to do to make sure that the compound contracts are secure, blah, blah, blah. I was so skeptical. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, we can't. <laughs> like, there there will always there, there's always going to be a risk that something catastrophic happens. And I was like, oh, hello. I like we're you. Have, we're like having you. a
2: conversation now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because, and that's one of the things to this day that I look at when I look at the DeFi platforms, when I look at the products, when I look at even back in the day with ICOs, What is the core attitudes of the team? And if they think that nothing can go wrong, if they think they're the smartest people, if they think that they've, you know, they've had all these audits and everything's great. If they themselves think this, that's a bad sign. You want people to be, since nobody can know the risks, the best thing or the better thing is that they understand that they don't know the risks because at least then they'll, you know kind of keep that in the back of their head. And they're going to make product decisions based on that. They're going to make all the decisions with that knowledge. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you do get this idea in your head that you, you know, that something is a hundred percent safe or risk-free and you're making product decisions that you're going to be screwed so fast and you're going to be screwed over and over and over and over and over again. And you're also just going to be a dick.
1: Getting screwed and a dick. Mm-hmm. Your paradox. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's a way to wrap this show up. <laughs> so, the moral of today's show is assess your risk because if you are doing that now, given the times and what we've been dealing with for the past few months, uh, as, a, as a globe, as a, as a human, then um, I don't even know how you're living. Assess your risk. Yeah. And don't um,
0: necessarily, like, eliminate, don't necessarily, like, ignore things that you think are just, like, not going to happen, period. Right? Like, uh, how do I say this? I always try to, like, write it down, right? Like, write down the risk. Yeah, I could get hit by an asteroid. And then, now that it's written down, you can be like, that's a super low chance. Like, we can, we can pretty (laughs) simply sort of ignore this, right? But well, once you have it
2: all written down, you can start to prioritize in terms of the things you should start to – you should actually worry about based on what you're doing and what you'd like to do.
0: Right. And then it's there. It's in your head. It's There's something more stronger. There's something about it, right? Um, and the other thing is that, okay, so then if I read a news article that says, hey, there's a whole bunch of asteroids super close to Earth right now because you know I had written this down before because I would considered it before – you know, I can go change that and I can be like, oh, wait, this thing that was super low risk before, it needs to be prioritized. And that's one thing, you know, when the environment around your systems is changing so rapidly, like it is right now, having that list sort of already done uh, and like constantly being updated and expanded and all of those things can be really, really, really helpful. Because again, something that is super low risk today may not be tomorrow and if you never acknowledge that this thing is ever a risk you can then again very easily get in the situation where you're like we're totally awesome and secure and nothing bad can happen you know and the asteroids are coming and you're just sitting there like what like what does that mean you know I, I'm i good look at my list everything's fine and that's the- <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wonder if end behavior helps Sorry, I'm just thinking out loud. Anyways, that's a different conversation for a different
2: day. Um, As always, going
0: to go way down this rabbit hole, huh?
2: It's always yeah, a pleasure I to was, have Taylor on the show because we get to go off and prognosticate and talk about various random things. Like I'm talking about chemistry today. Yeah, with chemistry.
1: I was thinking about end behavior in behavior. Anyways, um, if you want to hear more about in behavior, hop into the Slack go to the com and slack and say hey d remember when you were talking about n behavior and i'll be like uh, it's only been like 25 times in my life so uh, <laughs> let me, uh no um so uh thank you for listening to the bitcoin podcast this was episode 301 uh you can catch all the other shows on the bitcoin podcast network by um on your podcasting app just subscribe push the little button and then you'll hear a Dose of Ether hashing it out. You'll hear some syndicated shows as well, like Block Channel, and soon-to-be 4-Minute Crypto from Crypto Cousins themselves, or one of the Crypto Cousins. Um, What else, man? Status. You Go know get status. It. Go get it. We're sponsored by status. <laughs> Go get that shit. Uh, What's the link, Corey? Uh, off the top of my head, it, Status defeats
2: me. Status.im slash tbp. It's Why TBP? Because we need some type of metric to see whether or not you're getting it. So go get it and make my life better. Yeah, man. Like am slash TBP. We don't take a, a lot of metrics TVP. as a company due to principles. This is one of the very few metrics we may take. So help us uh, figure out how much sponsorships are worth. <laughs> That's me yeah, talking man. from a status hat and me talking with my TBP hat on. Uh, go get it because they're our sponsor and I love them.
1: Yeah. So, if you consider yourself to be one of those people that pisses excellence, then you'd probably want to go to status.im slash TVP and be among <laughs> like-minded people. So, uh, <laughs> that's it, guys. Um, play. Oh, you know what I
2: haven't done in a while, Corey? Shoutouts. I haven't given
1: a out to Zoe Soldania.
2: You, you gave life. it up. You gave her up. You were on Tatsy Beats for a while.
1: That's right. I broke up with her. Shout out to Zatsi Beats um play the outro